up inquirers welcome to another installment of inquiries of our reality i'm your host the one and only shane squatch as always and today i got an awesome episode for you guys with somebody that i had the pleasure of meeting at small town monster fest last year finally got around to having him on the show it turned out to be a great episode i think you guys are thoroughly going to enjoy but before we get into that of course i got some news and updates uh first and foremost the new merch store is now up and active and that does have the new inquiries of our reality logo design that uh was made by chris from conspire theory podcast huge shout out to him for doing that awesome work and uh, i've reformatted a bunch of the designs i did add finally the squonk design from squonkapalooza but it's going to be an all-around better store. It's going to have better setup to it. Uh, and I will be adding regularly new designs to that. And they're going to be way better designs. So keep tabs out over there because there's going to be a lot more coming out as far as the Open Minds Media merch store goes. And uh, moving into the front of house stuff, I'm going to try to run through this as fast as I can for you guys. If you guys aren't already checking out the show on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Discord, and Telegram, highly recommend that you do if you want to have awesome conversations with like-minded individuals or get updates on anything new going on with the show or even seeing clips or any video stuff that I put out. Make sure that you go through social media, follow all the pages, of course. Uh, if anybody wants to be a guest on the show, if you're a ufologist, cryptozoologist, paranormal investigator, abductee, experiencer, author, folklorist, researcher, whistleblower, or any open-minded individual, uh, I want to sit down. I want to have a conversation with you, so don't hesitate to shoot me a message so we can set something up. And uh, if you're a listener that may not have a full hour-long encounter or anything like that that you want to share, uh, I do want to start putting together some episodes where maybe they're just little short 15 minute things where I get to talk to you guys and I do collab episodes with those. Uh, I want to set all that stuff up. I want to get you guys more involved in the show. So don't hesitate to shoot me a message. Uh, you guys can get a hold of me through email, which is inquiries of our reality podcast at outlook.com. Or you guys can go to the link tree, fill the submission form, and that will go directly to my email. Or you guys can always shoot me a message on social media. I am the most active on Facebook, so that'd probably be the easiest method to do so. And uh, if you guys have like a product that's related to something that I talk about on the show, or you like to do fan art, or anything else, uh, I'd love to get a hold of you guys, set something up, so don't hesitate to shoot me a message over that type of stuff too. And uh, if you guys aren't already checking out Bizarre Encounters, highly recommend that you do. It's a great show. I have a lot of fun doing it. Record that with uh, Oren, who's the best co-host I could possibly ask for. Uh, if you guys like the stuff we talk about on this show, but you want more so deep dives into stuff, uh, it's a little bit different of a format as far as that goes, but the topics are somewhat the same. Highly recommend going and checking that one out if you guys haven't already. Uh, if you guys want to keep tabs on everything that I do as a whole, you guys can always go and follow Open Minds Media. Uh, there you're going to get updates for Bizarre Encounters and for Inquiries of All Reality. So 
probably one of the best places if you want to go and get a one-stop shop on everything. Uh, the Discord, the TikTok, uh, the YouTube, and the Telegram are all set up through Open Minds Media. Keep everything collaborated all into one place. Makes it a little bit easier. But And speaking of the uh, Open Minds Media pages, if you guys want to support the show, you guys can always go and join the Open Minds Media Patreon. Uh, there you'll get things such as ad-free episodes of shows, early access to shows, uh, lives of shows, live replays of shows, which is the raw video format if you guys aren't able to make it, uh, exclusive merch store discounts. Uh, there's going to be a lot more getting added to the Patreon soon enough here, so definitely something to uh, keep tabs on. Uh, and I'm always willing to take suggestions if there's anything that you guys want to see as far as the Patreon goes. Just uh, go and join the community, help out, support the podcast as much as you guys possibly can. Uh, and if you guys want to donate to the show directly to make it so that I can get out to more conventions and be able to meet more of you guys, you guys can always donate to the show directly through Cash App, PayPal, or Venmo, or Red Circle, which is the RSS host for the show. And if it doesn't give you some type of option to leave a personalized message, shoot me a message, let me know uh, that you guys donated because I love to give you guys a shout out on the show. Give appreciation where appreciations due, of course. Or you guys can always go and check out the Open Minds Media merch store like I mentioned in the beginning. It's new and updated. It's a great way to support the show. You guys can wear the designs around, get the word out a bit. And uh, if anybody buys anything from the merch store, I would absolutely love it if you guys sent me a picture of you guys wearing it because I'd love to be able to repost it on the page. Uh, but my suggestion, of course, is uh, if you guys are interested in checking any of that kind of stuff out, always go to the Patreon, get those exclusive merch store discount codes, make it a little bit easier and you get a little bit more bang for your buck as far as that goes where you'll get all the different Patreon content and you'll get a discount on the merch store. So just combine the two. You might as well do it together that way. Uh, and if you guys can't support the show in one of those three ways, you guys can always just interact with the show in general, uh, leave a review for the show, leave a rating for the show, um, share the show through word of mouth with friends, any of that type of stuff. Uh, there's a bunch of different ways to support a podcast besides just donating or doing stuff in that format. So if you guys aren't able to do that, at least interact in some way, shape or form. Even if you guys send me messages, letting me know how much you guys enjoy the show, or if there's anything you don't just, you don't agree with, with the show, whatever it is. I love getting, uh, interactions with you guys going. So again, don't hesitate to shoot me a message because I'd love to hear from you guys. And uh, don't forget to support your other favorites in the crypto community, such as Joe over there at Crypto Theology, always absolutely killing it with all of his different designs. Uh, he recently released the Snarly Yao design, and he also did a New Jersey Devil design. Absolutely fantastic. I think you guys will really enjoy those. Don't miss out on those designs and go and scoop yourself one from his merch store and go and scoop yourself something from the Open Minds Media merch store. Do yourself a little uh, early Christmas present and get yourself some awesome, awesome cryptid merch. And uh, everything that I mentioned, of course, is all available in the link tree, which is available down in the show description. And with that, let's get into the show. Please welcome to the show, author and researcher, Dewey Edwards. How's it going today? Doing fine. Doing great. Pleasure to finally get you on the show after, you know, we talked oh, at yes. Small Town Monster Fest a while ago. <laughs> Been working on it for a while, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> Glad we finally came around because I think I shot you a message uh, right after we orig originally met and uh, you had some stuff going on, but I randomly, I think, shot you a message about a week or so ago when you finally set it up. So I'm happy that you're finally able to be here. Yeah, glad to be here. I had a few little health issues I had to get over. Um, uh, I think I caught a, a touch of COVID, I think, back in the, about a month ago, and it kind of put me out of commission for a while, but uh, I'm back up and going now. So, Do you got the like the cough and like the the throat thing going on from that? Because I've heard a lot of people oh, yeah, say it's, it's a little, couple months it's of that. Scratchy, but it's the, I'm pretty sure it's a tree pollen right now doing that, so 
It's a mix of the two. I'm sure it doesn't help if you have a little bit of the COVID stuff going on and then the pollen. It's it's all just kind of combining together. <laughs> I'm over all the COVID stuff. I think that was a, that was about a month ago. So I'm, I'm over it now. But just like I said, the tree pollen plus the farmers are harvesting crops, the soybeans and the, and the corn. A lot of a lot of dust in the air, a lot of pollen. So. Well, the good news is, right. I'll say October will be over soon enough, and then it'll be into the cold months. So it's like there won't be pollen, <laughs> but then you'll be dealing with the cold air. So it's always got to be something, right? <laughs> always, always. So uh, I guess a good spot to start for anybody that might not be familiar with you and your work. Uh, why don't you kind of give them a rough idea about uh, who you are and what you do? My name is uh, Dewey Edwards. I was born and raised in uh, Springfield, Robertson County, Tennessee. If you're not familiar with the area, it's about 40 miles north of Nashville. I'm about three miles south of the Kentucky state line. I live way out in the country. I call my little um, two acres here soggy bottom <laughs> because it is off in a bottom, and when it rains, it pours. So <laughs> you get the flooding, soggy. get a couple inches of water. Uh, I, uh, I guess what got me into researching paranormal, uh, I had my first paranormal, I guess, experience when I was six years old. Uh, my uh, uncle had got uh, he got killed on a tractor. A tractor turned over on him, and uh, when the, uh, the when the uh, tobacco crop come in, uh, some of the some of the neighbors and some of the uh, relatives come over to help harvest the crop, and uh, one of them showed up without a without a cap, and it was hot that day. Sun was shining, so my mother told me to uh, go to the house and get Uncle John's. That was his name, Uncle John. Get his cap or his hat. He had an old felt hat he wore and bring it there and let Pete wear it, you know, keep his head from getting blistered. So I went to the house to get it, and it was probably oh, probably 100 yards away from the from tobacco patch. And uh, so I went and walked in the house and opened the door, opened the closet door up to get his cap out. And the door slammed shut, almost got me just about, it slammed shut on me. And uh, I thought maybe the wind got it. Of course, there wasn't any wind blowing that day. I opened it back up and reached in for the hat, and it slammed shut again. And like they got in my arm, and so it it scared me, you know, that going on. So I run back down to the field and told my mother, I said, you know, if Pete wants a cap, let him go get one himself. <laughs> go Uncle John's cap, you know. So uh, yeah, that like I said, that kind of unnerved me a little bit and kind of got me into the the paranormal thinking. But anyway, uh, when I was eleven years old. Uh, I seen my first full body apparition, and it was in the bedroom. At our, we had a, we rented a house, and uh, the, uh, we woke up one night, and it was just a girl standing there in the doorway, going into our room. My brother had the same room I did, and uh, she was standing there by a window. The window was was standing open, and it was opened up from from the side. You know, the window kind of opened up like this, and. Uh, had curtains on it, like lacy curtains, and uh, the curtains were blowing in the wind. This image, this uh, specter I was seeing, actually, uh, her hair was blowing in the wind, and so was her gown she was wearing. And just it had to just smoky looking, you know. But you could tell there was somebody there. So I woke my brother up, you know, and uh, he asked me if it, you know, he said, I think it's my, I think it's Joyce, our sister. I said, no, I don't think so. Joyce is a lot. She's a pretty good-sized girl. Yeah, this girl is real slender. Anyway, we uh, we talked about it for a few minutes, and uh, kind of got the more we thought, look, got looking at it, the more scared we got. So uh, we uh, covered our head up, you know, under the cover, 
And then a few minutes later, I peeped out and she was gone. And uh, the crazy part about it was there wasn't a window in the house there at all. It was just a blank wall there. There wasn't a window. And uh, that kind of threw you know, a little bit of a curve to it. So we went and talked to my, my father, asked him about it. He went to, uh, we were there at the house one day, and uh, well, a couple of days later, and the uh, landlord came down to feed him, check on his cattle. And uh, Daddy had just flat out asked him, says, anything, you ever see anything in that house? Anything ever happen? So well, the only thing I can think of, says, uh, when I was a real young boy, he said, uh, the house caught on fire. And he says, I remember hipping draw water out of the cistern. So I wasn't old enough to really pack it to anybody, but he says, I helped draw it out of the cistern. And he says, uh, they finally got the fire put out, but the back part of the house completely burned off. And he says, and my aunt burned up in the house. So that's probably what we were saying was her. So anyway, uh, he says, uh, you know, they rebuilt the back of the house, put the back of the house, you know, rebuilt it, put it back on. But I talked to people that lived there before we did and after we did. Nobody had ever seen anything in the house. So I don't know if it was just a residual haunting. We were, I was there at the right place at the right time to see it. You know, I don't really know. You know, I can't explain it, but, but that kind of got me into the kind of, you know, little, little ghost hunting, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we, we used to get out and just run around, you know, do ghost hunting. You know, uh, there was a bridge down by close by the house that was supposed to see this headless woman, you know, on it. And, we never did see her, but we seen something. I don't know if it was her or not, but uh, just uh, it just kind of evolved from there, you know. And uh, I had a uh, I had a pretty bad stroke when I went back in uh, two thousand and five, and almost almost died. It was near death experience. Oh wow! And since since then, it has really picked up. Since then, the house we live in is very active. We have uh, at least three spirits live here with us. Uh, the man and woman that actually built the house in 1945 and some little girl, I have no idea who she is, but we, she talks to us pretty regular. I mean, she's, she just, we can just hear her, hear her all the time talking. So, so I don't know. It's, I made a deal with them, you know, y'all, y'all don't bother me and I won't bother you. you know? <laughs> so I'm, somebody said, well, you need to, you need to smudge the house and ask them to leave. I said, I don't want them to leave, you know. They were living here before I was, you know. So Keeps things exciting. They're part, they're part of the house, too, you know, so they don't bother me. So, you know, it's kind of unnerving every once in a while to kind of see one of walk by you or something or, or to actually walk through you. I had it happen one time, and that was a weird feeling. Did it, was it like a cold breeze or something? What did it feel like? It, it was this cold, this a cold chill, just a real, just, and almost just, it was cold. It's like, it, you know, uh, cold to, down to the bone. I mean, it was cold, and uh, just weird. I don't know how to explain it. It's just a weird feeling, you know. It's, it's like just I don't know. It's like it's somebody like a I don't know. I can't explain it. It's just a weird feeling, like a cold breeze from like a freezer or something hitting you almost, but shivering I down to your bones. Part of that. Oh, I said like a like a cold breeze almost from like a freezer oh, or something, yeah, like but then like breeze, hitting your bones. But it, but it goes through you. Yeah, it's, it's like somebody. Poured ice water on you. I mean, it, it was real cold. <laughs> you get the cold chills and all. My wife's had it happen to her two or three times here. You know. So. But and then you uh, you regular you regularly see all three of them like full apparition too in your house, or is it more so you just kind of like hear them and know they're around? We see we see her, the lady, 
she'll walk through the house, and she's wearing a great, just a quick image of her, a quick uh, image of her. Um, she's wearing a gray, like an old gray house coat, and she usually comes out of where our bathroom is, walks across the hall into the and through where the pantry is now, and into the other room. And I found out from their daughter who lives in Florida that uh, where our bathroom is now, of course, they remodeled the house completely before we bought it. Uh, but the, the, uh, where the bathroom is was, our ki- was their kitchen at one time. The pantry wasn't there. He took part of that bedroom and made it into a pantry, the guy that did the work for us. And uh, so she's, she's leaving from the kitchen, going into where now that was their bedroom back then. So that's the only place we've seen hers is back and forth, you know, or walking down the hall. Uh, now the oh, the gentleman, uh, he was uh, I see him outside pretty regular. I don't see I never seen him inside the house. Uh, he's uh, usually wearing a kind of like either a red or a blue jumpsuit, or he's wearing overalls with a t-shirt, or he's wearing a, a Sunday suit. That's the three <laughs> the three times the three times you know the clothing that I can describe. But his name was Pee Wee. And what was crazy, we, uh, I bought a spirit box. I think I've got two of them. We bought a spirit box oh, a couple, three years ago. And we were sitting in there uh, playing with it. I was one day. And it came with a little, I wanted a flat speaker. I could leave my microphone on where I could record, you know. But it came with a speaker about like a, the size of a golf ball. It was round, you know, you plugged in the side of it. And so I swapped speakers out, put flat speaker in it. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I was in there just, you know, just messing with it, and uh, I, you know, I got asking, you know, if there's anybody with us and all that kind of stuff. No, I got no response at all. All I got was a static, normal static from a spirit box. And a wife come in, and she's always had better luck as far as getting these things to to respond to her than I have. But she asked what I was doing. I told her, you know, I was trying to just playing with the spirit box. She said, "Well, you get anything?" I said, "No." Just, uh, you know, just nothing but static. She said, well, let me try it. So she asked it, says, uh, is anybody here with us? And this man's voice said, P. And she says, P. And it said, we. And she said, Pee-wee? And she, he says, yes. Ooh. And she says, um, so uh, anyway, she called him my name. And when it says, uh, well, are, you, are y'all upset by us? What we're doing with the house? We're still in a remodeling process. And uh, he says, uh, no. And she says, well, do you like what we're doing with the house? And he said, yes, you know. <laughs> and they ask a few more questions, you know, back and forth, you know. And then she asked, well, is anybody else with you? Know, who, who else is there with you? And uh, the uh, and uh, we heard this little cat go, meow, you know. And uh, we'd had a, a cat that uh, the neighbor's dog, it had been out of, its, it had been out of the house one time in its life. The neighbor's dog. Just happened to be going by that day and come over in the yard and attacked the cat and killed it. Ooh. And, uh, but anyway, uh, she says, uh, Oh, you can do better than that, can't you? And it went, Meow, a little bit louder, you know. She says, Pooty, is that you? And it went, Meow, real loud. I mean, it was loud. And the hair on my arm stood up. She got to crying. And I turned, hit the off switch on that spirit box. And it was, a, it was probably a couple, three months before I ever turned it back on. It, it kind of unnerved me, you know, <laughs> to see it work like that. You know? I've never, I don't really hear too too many animals come through too. That's a, that's like a really interesting experience. Yes, it is. It is. 
Did the uh, previous owners of the house like pass in the house, or do you think it's just that they had such a tie to the house because they loved it? I, th- I think it's a little bit of both. Like I said, they uh, they got married. Uh, in fact, uh, Pee Wee's father is the one that actually built the house for them to move in when they got married. And uh, her name was Mamie. And uh, but we uh, said so we see them you know, pretty regular. Uh, the little girl, I have no idea who she is. Both of my granddaughters that live with us, they uh, called her their ghost friend. Uh, Lily was, uh, I was teaching her how to skip rocks one day. We were fishing back in the farm pond, and I was, I told, I was showing her kind of skip rocks. There wasn't many flat rocks up there around the pond. So I told her, I said, just wait a minute, we'll get back to the house. We'll walk down to the little, little creek right by the high, you know, beside my house. I said, well, uh, we'll skip a few rocks. I'll show you how to do it. So I rounded up a bunch of flat rock, you know, flat stones and piled them up. Got to showing her how to skip them, you know. So we used all the rocks we had, and I, we were going back toward the house. And uh, as we turned around to, to, to go back, you know, across the yard, um, something splashed in the creek behind us. And I looked back, and there was a ripple going across into the water. And uh, I thought, well, something must have fell out of the tree or something, you know, hit the water. And I asked Lily, I said, oh, what? Well, what was that? She says, oh, that was my ghost friend. So she skipped a rock too, you know. And I said, really? And she said, yeah. Then she pointed across the creek and says, but that one over there is not my friend. She's mean. And I got her to describe what she was you know, talking about. And she described a little Native American girl, I mean, with, you know, with the, the uh, uh, long, uh, long hair and pigtails, uh, wearing something like a buckskin, you know, outfit. Mm-hmm. And I said, but her eyes were black. And she says, uh, she says, I stay away from her. So she, she's mean. So I, I don't like her. <laughs> so, okay, let's go to the house. So we went into the house. <laughs> but every time I go out there by the creek, I think of that. You know, if that little girl is watching me or not. <laughs> it's probably one of those things, too, that it's like that, that common misconception with like they don't like white people because they're on their land kind of a thing. So she's probably not necessarily like a rude kid, but just rude towards white people on their land just because of what's happened in the past, assumably on the land. Exactly. But I've always had this feeling that there is this, that there is a a burial ground here on this property here. Um, I was, uh, we had, we had, I went to get my permit for the, to get build my garage. Of course they had to come out and do a septic tank inspection, all that kind of stuff. Well, in the meantime, I had put a pool in the backyard. They come out, did the inspection, and uh, they said my one of my corner, one of my lines was two two feet too close to my pool. You know, it, you know. So they they turned it down on the count of that. I applied for a variance from the state. State said no. Well, whatever the county says, we'll do. So the county wouldn't wouldn't budge an inch. I had to put a new system in. I would they get more money for inspection fees and all this kind of stuff. But anyway. Got the system put in. Uh, I helped my wife's uncle put it in. He's a he's a contractor that does that. And uh, we had to put a, the tank in, put a pump in the tank, and run it up on top of the hill and let the, let the feedback down to the uh, leach lines. He run a, a two-inch line from the pump up in front of where my garage is now, up on the hill. And uh, I helped him. Uh, you know, I helped him put it in. He dug a ditch. I put the pipe together and put it in the ditch. And I thought, you know, I need to I need to record this with something. 
where I'll know where this line's run because years from now, I won't, I won't know where it's at. So I made a lot of pictures out in the yard, you know, using the various things, you know, for landmarks. There's a uh, um, dogwood tree out by my garage, and he went well, probably within probably 20 feet, well, like probably within 15 feet of it with this line. And uh, up on the hill, I went out and made pictures, used this dogwood tree for reference. And uh, I didn't think much about it. Uh, it's probably a year or two later, I was looking at the pictures, and there's this real bright, real smoky image above the top of the tree, just like it's like the tree is on fire and smoke coming out of it, you know. And uh, so I take it he probably disturbed something you know, mm-hmm. when he dug that ditch across there. And I went out in the yard one day, and over in the area where this little girl was seen at, and inside of my yard, the uh, yard had this weird, I don't know, it's hard to explain. It looks like the the whole yard was swirling over on that part of that side of the house. It looked kind of like a like a paisley print, but it was all just, you know, swir- swirling around. And uh, I don't know what it was. I think it may have been a portal. I don't know. That's what it sounds uh, I've like. Seen these uh, lights, uh, street lights, you know, uh, security lights, the mercury vapor when the bulb starts going out, how they have a little spin to the bulb. And I uh, thought maybe it's doing that. Well, I got to looking and the bulb would look, it'd look normal. And I kind of glanced back behind the pole. Of course, it was casting a shadow out in the field, you know, back behind it. And uh, even the uh, even the uh, the shadow was had the same pattern to it. So I know it wasn't the light bulb doing it, you know. So uh, I thought, you know, I'm gonna go in and get my, get my wife, let her see this. You know, that's weird, weird looking. And I opened the door, went and got her, and come back out, and everything was back to normal. I mean, just just like it never happened. I've always often wondered what would have happened if I had stepped out in the yard in this. You know, what what was it? Was it a portal? Was it a vortex opening? I have no idea, you know. The veil's starting to thin. It was wild. It was wild. Say the it could be could have even been the veil like starting to thin, especially if you have that much activity in the yard too. I wonder if it's because maybe there is like a like a thin spot in in the d- different right. dimensions or realities. We had a uh, after where this thing, where that, this light pole, and it probably wouldn't maybe ten feet from it, we had this uh, a black circle appeared in the yard. Um, it was probably back in the, I guess it was back in the spring, and I don't know. People say the uh, sometimes a mold will grow, you know, like you know the black mold will grow in the yard, but this and it, it was about maybe a foot wide, but it was about a ten foot diameter, or maybe a little bit bigger than that on this thing. And I wished I went out and made a picture of it. I saw it well late one evening, and uh, it rained that night, and it was gone. <laughs> so <laughs> it may have been mold, I don't know, but it was weird. It was in a perfect circle, you know. So I don't know, it's all in the same area, but a lot of, a lot of activity around here. <clears throat> so I'm assuming that is it this house that you moved into that kind of inspired you to start writing your books, or did where did you start writing your books before you even moved into this house? Oh, let's see. I started writing. I guess I started writing just a little while before we moved in. Uh, I was, um, my first book, well, I called it uh, Execution of Murder. Um, my father had told me years ago that uh, his that his father, I'll take it back, his grandfather had killed killed his brother-in-law. 
And uh, he kind of told me the story of it. And I thought, well, is it, I don't know if this is just, you know, lower, you know, or if it actually happened. So I went down to the, I had no idea what dates it would have been or anything. So I'm going down to the county archives, going through the county court records. And uh, I finally come up on it, you know, and found, found the case. He did. He killed his brother-in-law. But his brother-in-law uh, was was going to kill his wife and his two children. Uh, he, he had one of the child children piled up on a brush pile and was going to burn them. So he goes up and uh, gets uh, runs him off and gets the kid off the off the brush pile and goes and sends him down to his house and then he goes back in the house to wait on him and uh, he carried he had his shotgun with him so he he puts the shotgun behind the door and he's hiding behind the door waiting for the guy to come home and uh, he finally the guy finally snuck back in and he reached behind the door to get his shotgun and there was a and he, there was a uh, axe handle back behind the door. And so he just beat him to death with the axe handle, you know. <laughs> Instead of shooting, he beat him to death. But he uh, he went to uh, he went to trial over it, and he uh, actually uh, got out on a. It wasn't self defense, but it was. Uh, they found him not guilty of murder. In other words, it was a, uh, uh, I guess justified. I guess that's what they called it. But anyway, I got to reading uh, some of these uh, murder cases, you know. And the more I read, the more interesting I, they got, you know. So I thought, you know, this will make a good book. So uh, about 20 years later, I finally get enough information together to publish this book. <laughs> and I actually self-published it myself to start with. I actually printed them off, you know, and used them. You know, I bound them and everything and sold them. And they were selling pretty good. And uh, that's before I run out come across Amazon. So, uh, but anyway, and a lot of these, uh, a lot of my books... Or two or three of my books uh, were actually based on some of those murder cases, you know, in the that come out of the book. We had a pretty horrific one where uh, ten men uh, actually uh, attacked this man and actually uh, just tortured him to death, just tortured him and finally killed him to to rob him, and they ended up lynching nine. Nine of the ten got lynched over it, you know, and one of one of them died in jail. I mean, it was a it was horrific, you know, and. Uh, so that book is named Lights Out. When they went in the courthouse to uh, to take them from the, the court officer, the uh, the guy the guy that was in charge of the mob, he uh, that's what first thing he said was Lights Out. Shot the gun in there a couple three times, and uh, everybody extinguished the you know the lanterns, I guess. And uh, but they uh, they took them and lynched them out front of the courthouse. And it, it was it's pretty bad. Uh, and that kind of led up to another book, uh, Vigilante Justice, you know, that, that more or less had that in it too. Plus, um, during the, uh, after the Civil War, the Reconstruction period, I mean, it, it was terrible around here. We had, we had all kind of, uh, lynchings and beatings and, you know, and all kind of stuff around here. And that, that book was a spinoff of what I, you know, found from that. Uh, the, uh, the next book I did was the, well, while I was doing that, the, um, the Bell Witch book. It's called uh, Something Wicked, The Bell Witch Phenomenon. And uh, that was my that was my next book. The, uh, I kind of, I'm a historian too. And I may, I write everything as historic, historically accurate as I possibly can. And uh, you have to kind of put your mindset in what would have happened back in those days, you know. Like if somebody, you know, need the sheriff 
they couldn't pick the phone up and call him. I mean, you know, he had to send somebody after him, you know, mm-hmm. something like that. So, yeah, you got to put yourself in that kind of a, a mind frame. But, uh, the, uh, but the anything leading, leading up to the Bell Witch, uh, there were several things that happened. In uh, 1811, January of 1811, a uh, great comet appeared in the sky. And it hung there in the sky for, for, you know, for a long time. In fact, on through December. Everybody took it as an omen of best, something bad to happen. And uh, John, Bell's, uh, John Bell's slaves, they were terrified. They wouldn't even go outside with this comet and, you know, at night. And when it started getting dark, they, were in, they went inside. But anyway, uh, they took it as an omen of something bad to happen. And sure enough, in December of 1811 is the great earthquake hit that uh, caused the uh, Mississippi River to run backwards. Formed Real Foot Lake up in upper northwestern Tennessee and rang uh, church bells as far as Boston, Massachusetts. And it was centered in uh, New Madrid, Missouri. It's called you know, the, the New Madrid Fault. And uh, the, uh, but anyway, that, that was, in the, you know, that uh, kind of, everybody was kind of thought the world was coming to an end. They never experienced an earthquake like that before. And the comet on top of it, too. <laughs> I said at first it was had a, ma- a magnitude of about maybe a ten, but then they uh, they did a little research, more research, and uh, you're judging you know some of the upheavals, things like that they had. Uh, they said it may have been at least a ten and a half, or maybe eleven, maybe as far as a Richter scale. It was the greatest earthquake to ever hit the continental United States. And uh, but anyway, uh, then after that, the people kind of got over that a little bit. And then we had this uh, volcano, Indonesia, that erupted and spewed uh, millions of uh, metric tons of ash into the air, blocked out the sun, and that which made uh, the year 1816 the year without a summer. Uh, millions of people died worldwide because of this. Uh, people starved to death. Uh, all the ca- most of all the cattle died. You know, just. All the crops died. We had uh, ice and snow on the ground here in a, in July that year. And uh, people uh, just didn't have much to eat. They just about wiped out the deer population. Um, people got greedy and uh, sold their corn crops for like $10, for $10 a bushel, which back in, you know, back then, back in the early 1800s, that was a fortune. <laughs> and... Uh, so then, then when they sold their corn, it comes springtime, they had no seed corn to plant, you know. So it just kept kept building up and building up, you know. And uh, so then the next year, 1817, is when the bell witch appeared. And uh, so I think it just had something just to, all that kind of built up, you know, and led into it. I don't know if they were, it's hard to explain, you know, but I, that, that's, that's the way I, I explained in my book how it actually, you know. What led up to the Bell Witch? Of course, uh, the uh, the movie American Haunting, they were kind of hinting around that uh, that there was incest involved, and uh, that was that was the reason, and that was the reason for the poltergeist. Which I think that's why it was the Bell Witch was simply a poltergeist. Uh, Betsy Bell was young, you know, and uh, but uh, the uh, it just kind of happened. Excuse me. Kind of how you know just got the book, you know, they uh, leading up to that. Uh, of course, they uh, 
it was cave. Oh, yeah. I was my train of thought there for a minute. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, that, uh, this uh, Bell Witch tormented John Bell, I mean, unmercifully. Uh, and Betsy, too. It pulled her hair. It tied her hair in knots around the bedpost. Uh, it just appeared out of nowhere, you might say, and it started out as kind of a scratching on the bedpost or on the side of the house, you know, and it gradually kept getting worse. And uh, it actually led up to the... Uh, it took credit for killing John Bell, which is supposed to be the only case, documented case of where a, a supernatural entity actually killed a human being. And it's uh, I'm about 11 miles away from Adams, and uh, I go up there pretty regular. In fact, I was up there today actually, and we did we did several several documentaries on the Bell Witch. In fact. Uh, Small Town Monsters did one called uh, Mark, of the, Mark of the Witch. Uh, Skydive Films did one called uh, The Bill Witch Legend. And I was I was in it too. And uh, they show that one around here every year, a couple, three times before Halloween every year. You know, it's a pretty pretty common thing to see it on uh, KET, you know. It's also on YouTube now too if you want to watch it. <laughs> it it's pretty good. I've got a few, I've got several parts in that one. So uh, <clears throat> I'm assuming that at least like where you're at then, so it's probably like a Halloween thing too where everybody goes and checks out the cave and everything like that every single time it gets uh, around that time of year. Yeah, we're having a uh, the, the uh, fall festival. What's going, the spirit play is going on now. And uh, I'm going to be set up, uh, set up there selling my books uh, actually uh, next weekend. Yeah, yeah, the 27th and 28th. And uh, I've also got to meet a guy named Rick Ravel up there. He's uh, he's going to do a like, a like a mini documentary, you know. I'm gonna he's going to interview me up there. We're going to do that some sometime during that week. Uh, I'll probably take him back to the John Bell Cemetery, which is way back in the middle of the woods. It takes almost an act of Congress to get back there. you got to know somebody that's on the board to even get permission to even go back to it. I'm gonna get him back there and so show him a few of the sites around there, you know. Let him do some filming, you know. It'll be an interesting day. So, uh, where do, where does the cave kind of come into play as far as it goes? Because as far as I've always kind of been told, it's all kind of centered around the house. So, like, where, where does like the cave and like the whole "don't take the rocks from the cave" concept come into play? Uh, my theory on that. I'm glad you asked that. I almost forgot it. Uh, my theory on that is. The cave itself is not haunted by the Bell Witch, per se. Uh, I'm not saying it's not haunted. There is something there. There's been too many people seen stuff and, you know, things like that in it. Or out, even outside the cave. Um, the cave is, itself is situated right beneath the Native American burial ground. And the Native Americans always uh, put had this uh, the sacred spot for their burial grounds. And it was usually in a portal or a vortex, you know, if they could travel back and forth, you know. And uh, that's why I say if they take a rock out of the cave, what you've done, you've actually took part of that portal home with you, you know. And if whatever's in that portal, it releases it. I've got uh, two phone calls, oh, probably three or four years ago. Uh, one of them was from Florida. One was in Georgia. But both of them had both lived in Adams at one time. Uh, this girl, she said she went to the cave, 
and they warned her, don't take anything out of the cave. No rock, stick, nothing. Don't take anything out of the cave. Well, she picked up a rock, stuck it in her pocket. And she says her life just fell apart from that point. She lost her. Uh, her and husband got divorced. She lost her house. She lost her car. She lost her job. Uh, she ended up moving in, her, in with her sister in Florida in a little trailer park in Florida. And uh, so anyway, she, uh, anyway, I got this information, Miss Girl, because she called me on the phone wants some help. So uh, she uh, she sent me several texts, and I thought, well, you know, I don't know if I want to fool with this or not. But anyway, uh, she said that when they got to Florida, uh, that, that didn't get, it got worse, actually. She said they had a, things were breaking down. Uh, I think the air conditioner went out. Uh, some of the plumbing acted up, um, some kind of weird, crazy stuff. And they called the electrician over there, do something. So he opened the door and walked in and come running back out and said, uh-uh, I can't go in there. <laughs> got something in there I'm not going to mess with. And said so the, the, the plumber and, uh, and the uh, air conditioner guy told her the same thing. So uh, I can't go in there. It's, uh, you've got something evil in there, and I can't, I can't, I can't do it. And uh, so she called me, asked me what to do. I said, well, you need to get that rock back. Well, can I send it to you? I said, no, do not send that rock to me. <laughs> I said, I, I've got I got the address of the, of the of where the cave is. The people run the cave, and I said, put it in a put it in a small package, envelope, whatever, and mail it back to them, and ask them to put it back in the cave. And uh, she did, and I talked to her. Well, in fact, I talked to one of the. Uh, I got her some help down there. I talked to one of the paranormal uh, groups down there close by her. And they went over and uh, blessed the house, got a priest to bless the house, and they uh, did the sage smudging and all that. And the last time I talked to her, everything had returned back to normal, you know. And the one from Georgia was just about the same thing, I mean, almost identical to the case, you know. And uh, she, like I said, you know, she, uh, she wanted to, both of them wanted to mail the rock back to me. I said, uh, uh, don't do that. No, I'm not even mad at I don't want that rock in my possession. <laughs> don't need to make a pit stop on the way back to the cave. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, my friend, he he worked at the water department, which is right down below the cave, where they draw their water out by, by the by down below the cave. And he said he was there one day, and he said this uh, guy come up. He said he's seen a car sitting up there at the entrance to the cave. Been sitting there for a good little while. And, uh, of course, the gates were closed. The gate, you know, the cave was closed. And I uh, Said he said this guy seen him, I guess, walking around there in the parking lot, you know, going to his truck. And said he had jumped in his car and come flying back down there and asked me. He said he come sliding to a stop in the gravel. Said, uh, What time's the cave open? And Tim says, Well, it's certain in no certain time, you know, just whatever he decides to get up, open the gates up, you know. Well, I gotta get up there, I gotta get up there. And Tim said, What's so important? You gotta get in that cave this time of morning. And he told him the same story. He picked up a rock, took it home with him, you know. And his whole life just went all to pieces. And he said, I got to get that rock back in that cave. So I think Tim went there and called the guy that owned it and had him uh, to meet him up and meet the guy up there at the gate. And he handed him the rock back to him, you know. But the, the people at the cave t told me that they get a four or five or six packages in the mail every week. These little small rocks and <laughs> people are mailing them back. You know? Everybody's like, I don't believe it until you I, I actually do it. The cave. Yeah, I've never been in the cave. Uh, my cousin owned it at one time, and uh, he called one day. I was in the I was in the volunteer rescue squad, 
and uh, he called one day and says, uh, there's a dog that has fell off the bluff, and it's, it's down there on a, a shelf rock, just a little ways above the water. He says, I can't get down to it. He says, I've been pitching it some, you know, some scraps to eat, you know, but he says, he can't get to the water. There's no water there for it to drink. And he says, uh, I can't get water down to it. He says, is any way y'all can come and maybe rescue this dog? So uh, we went down there and looked at it. My nephew, he went he went with us. He was the smallest one of the bunch. So we put him in a safety harness and helped him rappel down, you know, let him down. And uh, he carried a big leather bag with him and put this dog in it. And we pulled the dog up first and sent the rope back down for him to tie off. And we pulled him back up. And uh, he offered to give us a, a tour of the cave. My nephew and brother went in. I didn't. I said, I want to take a rain check. I'll probably do it later on. I, <laughs> I just heard too many bad things about this cave. And I've yet to go in it. Now, I may one of these days, but right now, I, I'm not. I'm not up to it. You got to make sure before you leave, you don't have a rock or something in your shoe. Cause I wonder how many people it's a total accident that they just got a rock in their shoe and they went home and they're like, Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A little piece of gravel. Yeah. I'd make sure, make sure to clean your shoe soles out. real good. <laughs> <laughs> got to put a little brush pad by the door to the cave. That's going to be the new, new attraction to it. <laughs> make sure you guys check your shoes. <laughs> exactly. But that was, uh, I said the bell, Witch was the, I guess the second book, it's actually the most popular book, really, uh, as far as, well, especially this time of year. Uh, there's a restaurant up in Adams, and they, they carry my books for me, and they sell them for me. And uh, they were carrying them for me at the uh, uh, History Center there in Springfield. And I just, just quit carrying them down there because they just didn't want to didn't pay when, they were, when it was due. So I just, I just quit fooling with them. But... Uh, I, I do them. I uh, send them out here to my house. Um, I ship them out myself. Uh, plus Amazon, you know, they, uh, people get them off Amazon. And I tell everybody if you get one and they, you know, if you have it with you, when I see you, I'll sign it for you. You know, I've got all mine signed already. The ones that the, at the restaurant are signed, and the ones I ship up here are signed and autographed. But uh, the ones off Amazon, you know, unless they bring them to me, I can't. I got a bill with shirt on here. <laughs> I was going to mention that. And you actually mentioned the small town monsters documentary. I was going to say, I have it sitting up here. Actually. I think I grabbed it from a uh, Heather uh, from small town monsters. Cause I think she worked on that right. film too. Right. Yeah, she did. Yes, she did. Yeah. That was, a, it was, it was pretty, they, they do a great job on their documentaries. I mean, they, we went to, I was up there probably about three days on and off. We went to the, both of the John Bell jr. And John Bell senior graveyards. And, uh, See, I did got some amazing footage using using the drone, the flying around, and uh, it was he, he did a great job. <laughs> it had that camera on it. it pretty pretty nice drone. I wish I had one like I got the little small one, but uh, nothing like that. He's got. So. But yeah, it was a uh, it was interesting to work on it. I'm kind of curious if uh, you said that it has like native link to it. I wonder if like when you take the rock, if it's almost like taking part of like an ancestral spirit and it's not necessarily like the poltergeist that was like in the Bell Witch House, but rather just a close location that gets associated with it. And it's actually like a totally different phenomenon that happens. Right. Yeah. 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 I think, you know, that way I look at anything that it's in that portal, if that portal extends down into the cave, you know, you pick the rock up, take it with you. That rock was actually part of that portal when you pick it up in your pocket. And I guess it goes with you. I don't know. It's, it, it's, 
it's weird. You know, Something's attached to it hard, for sure. Hard to grasp idea of. I'm assuming it's some type of uh, some type of attachment. No matter what way you look at it, whether it's like opening a portal and possibly making it so things are coming through and they're irritated because they're not where they're supposed to be, or maybe it's that there maybe are some like trickster type uh, like spirits or beings that are there and they just right. purposely attach themselves to rocks just to have kind of fun and mess with people essentially. Yep, yeah, that's possible too. You know, it's it's just weird. <laughs> And it's one of those things too, just like Robert, that nobody wants to believe it. But as soon as you actually experience it, you'll turn a belie- or a skeptic into a believer real quick. Right. Yeah, I've a, I've I've seen it. I've seen videos of it. You know, actually moving. You know, uh, dolls are kind of. Some dolls are kind of creepy to me. Mm-hmm. My wife collects these old. Has for several years. These old tiny tears. She had a tiny tears doll. You know, from back in when she. When she was a child, they put them. I think back in the fifties. I think it was maybe when they made these dolls. Well, she collects them. Uh, I used to get her at least one or two every year for Christmas. You know, that's part of her Christmas gifts. And uh, but I was I come through. She's got them in a display case there in the living room. And I was laying in bed one night, and something woke me up. And. Uh, so it sounded like sound like a bunch of kids having a party in in the living room, you know. And I thought, well, it's not the TV because I could I'd be able to see the glare from a TV, you know, from the room. And uh, well, we have a separate sound bar, you know, so it, it's separate. So, uh, well, maybe maybe the sound bar just on the TV is off, but it's still, you know, I don't know. But anyway, I got up and walked in the walked in the living room. And it was deadly quiet. There wasn't a thing going on. And I thought, well, I know I heard somebody talking. I look around like that, and I see that display case over there, you know, where the dolls are at. I look over, and I says, y'all be quiet. We're not get some sleep. <laughs> and they haven't bothered me since. But, I mean, it was, yeah, she's got several old, old, old dolls, you know. Some of them are in perfect shape. Some are missing some fingers, you know, and toes, you know, and things like that. But she's a... She dresses them all up, puts clothes on them, you know, but uh, I don't, I, I build my own, uh, um, a lot of my paranormal tech, you know, uh, uh, rim pods, things like that, I build my own, uh, my own dowels and rods and things like that. And uh, I'm wanting to, I've got a couple of these old uh, Furbies. All those things are creepy to begin with. <laughs> things are spooky anyway. I've been wanting to take one of them and make some kind of a, a something out of it, you know. But I, have, I, I hadn't found the right one yet, you know. The two I've got are old and antique, and uh, they they've got family ties to them, so I didn't want to butcher them up, you know. But uh, the uh, if I ever find find a good one at a flea market or a yard sale or something, then I'm on. I'm going to experiment with it. See what I see what I come up with. I've heard of a few people saying that you can use those to pick up paranormal activity because of that little like sensor that they have on their forehead. Right. Uh, what, what, what have you kind of picked up as like the reasoning why you can use Furbies for things like that? I just, I just thought it would be cool to do one. Uh, I've got a, I think I kind of put up, I think. Talk about a creepy spirit box though. If you're actually seeing like a little Furby mouth move while you're using a spirit box. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I took a, uh, I took these, uh, you've seen these uh, a little electronic uh, 
door alarms. You can hang on your doorknob and somebody touched on the other side, it'll, it'll sound. Yeah, the little magnetic ones. Yeah. I took uh, some of those and uh, put them inside a, uh, an Elmo, an Elmo doll, and also in a, uh, see, the Elmo, I've got three or four of them, a lamb. But anyway, you just get close to them and just put your hand over them and it, the buzzer goes off, you know. And uh, even the, uh, Lies, I got to where the eyes will light up, you know. If you don't put something in line with the, with the, uh, in series with the uh, speaker, there's a loud, there's, you know, there's too loud. So if you put something like a LED light or something, it quiets them down just a little bit. And uh, so I'd use this, I did an Elmo, I did a lamb. Like lamb chop? Several, several of those. And in fact, uh, uh, Jesse from Hellbent Holler. Mm-hmm. You know Jesse? Yeah. I sent her, I sent her, well, I found a Morticia doll. And I think it was a flea market, I believe it was. And I put one of those in it. And got it, got a little necklace that lights up, actually, when it, you put your hand over it, the little necklace light up, and, it's, and the sound goes off. And my wife put the blue streaks in her hair, you know, like she had <laughs> And I mailed it to her, you know. She's got it sitting in her office now on the shelf. Well, I just like fun with electronics. That's how I built, you know, I built several REM pods. And uh, I, built a, I built a Tesla call. I was trying to get some EMF and make something that would generate a lot of EMF. In fact, I did. A, I took a, some uh, computer fan motors and some rare earth magnets and made a pretty good uh, EMF pump. And I'm working on something now that's uh, it's going to be electromagnetic. And I'm still experimenting with it. I'm getting everything together to build it. But uh, I'm hoping it will be a lot more powerful. Yeah, I'd love to see some of these devices. That sounds really cool since you build them yourself. And I mean, even just like the, the ones you said who use the Elmo and like the LAM and everything too. I wonder if that like draws in like young spirits, for example, because you always hear about, you know, kids playing with like the balls, like the ghost spirits, like rolling like the balls right. back and stuff. I wonder if uh, if you make some type of sensor out of a child's toy, if it's like it draws them to it more because they want to play with it. Yeah, that was that's the purpose of that. Maybe to uh, get, you know, maybe draw a child or something in. Uh, we went to a friend's house you know, just several times, but she... Uh, she called us one day and said she had a lot of activity going on and wanted us to come up there and uh, investigate it, see if we can you know, figure something out. So we went there. Of course, they were doing a lot of remodeling in the house, too, and everything. We, uh, the man and woman that lived there before them were way on up in the years, and uh, they both passed away, and they bought the house from the estate. And uh, they started remodeling. Well, they, it got kind of active around there, of course, same way this house. When we started remodeling, it got pretty active. And she called us up there one day and she said, I want you to come here and check my house out. I said, I'm seeing all kind of stuff in the hallway. And says, we're hearing these noises. And she says, uh, it's, it's this weird, weird feeling here in the house now. So we go up there and take our equipment up there. And there's a, there, I walked in the hallway and there's a mirror at the end of the hallway. And uh, you know, just, I set my camera stuff up, you know, and I, uh, I was actually getting my equipment set up in the new room they had built on, and I've got a, a plastic softball, lightweight softball. I put it down in the floor, and I was going to get my camera set up and see if it, you know, if it catch it moving. 
Well, she said she had put stuff in down that before and come back to get it. And it's the other end of the hallway, you know, when she, the other room at the other end. So uh, that's why I was trying to, I was trying to do it, do that. But anyway, uh, they the dog at the other end of the house got to making a lot of noise and barking and carrying on. I thought, well, it's after something or it sees something, you know. So I walk into the other end of the house to see what the dog was barking about. And, uh, we couldn't find it. It was barking toward the closet door. We opened the door up, and the dog took off, and the dog runs. So I never did get anything what, what it was, but it, going back to where I was eventually set up at to get my camera started, and the ball was already at the other end of the hallway before, before I got back to turn my camera on. <laughs> I wish I'd turned my camera on before I went ahead and left where I could have seen it move. But I got a couple of good uh, video of orbs coming out, coming out of their bedroom and shooting down the hallway. I got a couple you know, and they're pretty bright orbs. And uh, then uh, we got this little boy. He was running under the table, and he was going, whee! And I got some good DVPs from him. And uh, I asked the guy, that uh, the older man there, uh, how old he was. He said he was uh, 83. And I went to the cemetery the next day or two and went to his tombstone, and sure enough, he was 83 years old. But... Uh, Things kind of quiet down after that, you know, and we asked him, you know, to said, I'm not, uh, we're not going, I'm not going to tell you to leave, but uh, I ask you, you know, to leave, or if you're going to, if you if you're going to stay, you know, just, you know, just don't bother the occupants, you know. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, they got. She said everything quietened down. Of course, they got to doing some more work on the house, remodeling the kitchen and all. And then she called back and she said, "You got to get back up here, sister." They're going crazy now. So what man going crazy? She says, I woke up this morning, right before daylight, and I looked up and there was an old man standing over my bed looking down at me, you know. And uh, she says, uh, I don't like it. So, <laughs> so she said, you got to come up here and figure out something. So I walked in the house, looked down the hallway. The mirror is gone. They've been doing some painting and things like that in the hallway. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. And the mirror was gone. And I said, where's the mirror at? Of course, I always suspected that was the portal for they're using to come back forth anyway. Her father had given that old uh, mirror to her years ago. And he got, he'd had it for a long time to come out of an old house. So who knows how old this thing was. So anyway, I said, where's the mirror at? And she says, it's in the bedroom. And she stopped me at the night. And she says, oh, and she said a couple of bad words. I'm not going to <laughs> And anyway, she said, I said, you put, I said, you need to either get rid of that mirror or put it back up where it was at, you know, get it out of your bedroom, you know. And once she moved the mirror back out in the hallway, she never had no more activity in her bedroom. She sent me a picture before she actually moved the mirror, before we went up there, actually. She's sitting there, it kind of made a selfie. And uh, you look in the background behind her, it looks like a picture of this old uh, woman, you know, in a picture. It's not a it's not a picture. It's a mirror back there, and 
in the back bedroom. <laughs> and, and this woman's image is, is you can see the woman's image in the in the picture. But uh, since we went back up there, she's I talked to her well, probably a couple of months ago, and she everything's everything's quiet. So they quit doing construction work, and now actually they started doing some work a couple of days of replacing one of the floors in the house. So. I may be getting a call back up. <laughs> you never know. It's kind of funny how for a while it was a thing to put a mirror at the end of a hallway just because, you know, it makes the hallway look bigger, makes the house look bigger. But it seems like every house that does that, they always have this influx of activity. Even if there wasn't any before, you put a mirror at the end of the hallway and maybe it's just because it's a long strip leading up to it. Like there's some kind of combination with it and it just always leads to something weird happening. You know, back uh Back a long time ago, well, not, not that far back, I guess, but if somebody passed away in the house, they covered the mirrors up. Mm-hmm. Before the body ever, they took the body out of the house, they covered all the mirrors up with something. And it was supposed to keep the spirit from being trapped in the house, the way I understand it, you know, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> mirrors just have a, well, they're kind of spooky. Yeah, to begin with. I mean, it's it's kind of a weird thing to think about. I mean, some people even make like theories about it being like you can literally see into like a parallel dimension and that's why everything's like backwards. I mean, simply could just be a mirror, but there is some kind of like a weird woo-woo factor to it. And I mean, there's always activity linked around it. So maybe as crazy as it sounds, maybe there really is something like that, that when you look in a mirror, you are seeing like a, like a negative of your dimension, theoretically. Right. Yeah, they're, uh, they're kind of kind of weird. But I, I never thought about that. She's they were doing the floor. She found some old uh, uh, drink bottles, uh, Coca Cola, whatever, underneath the house. You know, when they, that's how I knew they were doing the floor because she had pictures of them. She had posted on Facebook, so she may be calling here any day to come back up to, to see what else is going on. She's gonna find like a weird little box under there below them that actually predated the Civil War. It was used as a hospital during the Civil War. It was a, it was a woman's college. Uh, I think it was a hospital at one time. It was a doctor's office. But anyway, it, we went by this old, old house, and it was a two-story, kind of a T-shape. had a big front on it, and then back behind it was a wing on the back. We went by this house just sometimes a couple, three times a week. It's right now from this girl's house. And uh, so we, uh, my wife always says, we got to stop and check this out. We got to, you know, this, I get this creepy feeling when I go by this house, because I did too. I said, you know, we need, need to bring our equipment up here and check it out. So one day we were going somewhere. I said, let's go up here and check it old house out up in Keysburg. Let's go check it out. So we put, uh, I put the camera on a couple, three more little things. I didn't have much equipment back then. And I, uh, camera and a few more things and I put them in the car and we rode up there and uh, there was a, a gate a little short road it's, it's been middle of a field a farm all around it but there was a gate up across the little lane that leads back to it had a big no trespassing sign on it I said well I'm not going to trespass but we'll just make a few pictures here from the road you know we get you know you can probably get within Oh, probably 50 yards of the house or whatever. So let's just make a few pictures, you know, and see if we can get anything in them, you know. And that's where I got my, a real good a good picture of an orb. I mean, it was in daylight, and this thing was bright as I don't know what. And uh, it was right directly in front of me. And uh, 
So we got made a few pictures, went back and looked at them, you know, and just you got a, you can see a few images, you know, of, of things, you know, back out in the edge of the woods and all, but uh, the edge of the field, but uh, nothing real. It really stuck out. And uh, we went back probably another week or two later, and they was doing some work in the field, and the gate was open, which means that with the gate being open, I couldn't see the no trespassing sign, you know, so I kind of eased off into the yard. <coughs> wife would not let she she walked in and come right back out she said uh-uh. it is too strong I can't it's, the negative energy is too strong I can't do it so I went in and went back behind the house and made a few pictures and the back wing on it it had two levels of the row of doors on the bottom and a row, row of kind of like a hotel would look like and a, a row up on the upper floor and I just made a few pictures and I always make a two pictures, at least two pictures, just a, maybe a second apart. Use one for a control you know, photo and then one for a... But anyway, uh, I made this picture. In one in one uh, picture, the door was standing open. In the next picture, the door was closed. And that door never moved while I was standing there, you know. But in the pictures, it, de- it did. But there's a... You know, it's just a weird, creepy, creepy old house. And I wanted to go in it. I just couldn't get the nerve up to go in it. I just didn't feel good about going in it. Of course, one thing, if I could have got permission from a guy that owned it, I'd have probably went in. But I wasn't going to trespass that far and you know, actually go up into the house. Over the years, they had found uh, two people that had been murdered and, and they, they were hidden in the house. And uh, that wasn't a real good, <laughs> real good feeling either. Mm. One of them was up in the, up in the attic. Had been packed up in the attic, you know, and and kind of covered up with some stuff up in the attic. Um, but they say there was all kind of all kind of stuff up in the attic, old shoes and clothing and stuff like that. But I never went in. But uh, the uh, it's just a creepy old place. And uh, then uh, before we got through with our investigation, a bunch of kids burned it down one night. You know, so we was doing. I would love to have been able to you know done a little more. You know, a little more investigation around it. I'm kind of curious if the kids knew that there was something off and evil there, or if it was just kids being kids and just burned the house down. Uh, they burnt that one down. They also burnt a church in Cedar Hill the same night. There was a church on fire, then a house on fire at the same time. Um, so I guess these kids just out running, just, just setting random fires, I guess. I'll like figure it out. Be an arsonist. <laughs> else better to do, I guess. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> now, I was going to stay about this uh, this latest book I'm working on. Uh, it's uh, the Thomas Mantell, you know, plane crash. Uh, I have really become attached to Captain Mantell. I mean, he's he was an American hero. He 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 flew planes in World War II. He flew on D Day. He. Uh, his plane was shot up so bad, he was towing a glider loaded with men. And uh, he was towing a glider to the landing zone. And uh, he come under heavy fire. And they almost shot one of the wings almost off the plane. They did shoot the tail section so bad. And it just shot, it destroyed the four cables. And they were trying to get this thing, in. he was trying to fly this. It was on fire. And they were trying to put the fire out. And you know, towing this glider, and then this, they had no control over the, the rudders in the back because they broke the cables. They were trying to get the cables fixed. <clears throat> but anyway, 
and his main concern was the towing the glider had enough drag on the plane that it was actually keeping the plane, you know, kind of stable, you know. And they they were kind of concerned about what's going to happen when I release this glider, you know, with, you know, what what's going to happen. But he was able to get the plane back, back to the airfield, and uh, said he they was worried about him landing because uh, see, he's having a hard time controlling the plane, and he had to run down the runway and they had uh, planes parked on each side of the runway, you know, ready for takeoff. And afraid he might, you know, wreck into some of those, destroy some of those. But he was able to keep it all in, all together, and land the plane safely. And they went out and looked at the plane when he landed, and said it was. They declared it unflyable. There's no way that plane flew as much damage as it had to it. And uh, anyway, he got the distinguished flying cross. And after the service, he came back to the United States, and uh, he still wanted to fly. He opened his own flying school when he got out of the service, and it still wasn't enough. So he joined them. They formed the uh, Kentucky Air National Guard, and he signed up and was uh, able to fly a P-51 Mustang. He was, uh, they went to, uh, I don't, I still hadn't figured all this out yet. I'm still trying to put some of this together. Uh, he, uh, they sent uh, him and three other pilots and uh, several mechanics and several engineers to Marietta, Georgia, to pick up four P-51 Mustangs. They were down there. They got a, they were grounded for bad weather. I don't know if they were taken down there for service or what was going on. But anyway, they uh, they were bringing the planes back when uh, um, they, uh, they seen this UFO at Fort Knox. So they uh, just the men they were in there. They dispatched them to go ahead and go check it out. Uh, he had three wingmen with him, and one of them left and went back to base because he didn't have enough. He didn't have enough fuel. And Captain Mantell and the other two wingmen uh, took off toward this flying saucer or what they said UFO. And uh, he's a he was a, his plane evidently must have been the fastest one. And the weird part about that is, I don't know if that was his own, if it was a plane he was assigned to, or if he just went down and picked up four random planes and brought them back. But one of his wingmen had oxygen. And I just wonder if what would have happened. Of course, Mantel went too high, they say, and passed out for lack of oxygen. He went to like 30,000 feet. And I think a 20,000, I was 15,000, was supposed to have been their limit as far as you know, without having oxygen. And he, they say he went up to 30,000 feet and blacked out, fell across the controls, and it went into a power dive and, and hit the ground. Um, I've always wondered what would have happened if he had got the other plane that his other wingman got that had oxygen. One, oxygen, one of them had oxygen. If he had got that plane and the wingman had got the one without the oxygen, you know, what would have what would have happened to me? You know? uh, but it was a, I don't know, it's it's still a mystery, you know, the things. They uh, they say the, the all the reports say the plane exploded. The plane did not explode. Uh, I have been talking to several uh, engineers and people at the local airport. Uh, one of two things, well, I, th I know one, th one thing that did happen. Uh, when he was coming down, uh, 
Haley leaned forward on the floor, leaned forward, which pushed all the controls down, which put him in a power drive. The uh, engine was running wide open. Uh, the prop was pulling him down faster. Uh, I'm pretty sure he probably hit Mach 1. The P-51 Mustang, if it gets close to Mach 1, the tail section vibrates real bad and, and, vibra- and, it, and it can tear the, it can vibrate enough to, to tear the tail section off. He did lose the tail section on the way down, which he may have hit Mach 1. But uh, the plane actually, the engine, the engine is what blew up. Uh, it's only rated at 3,000 RPM is all this. Um, it's a, a Rolls-Royce Merlin V12 engine. And uh, he, uh, he coming down, like I said, it, it exceeded you know, the RPMs. It over, over-revved, and the engine actually locked up, blew up. And the reason I know this for a fact, the prop on this plane was not turning when he hit the ground. Uh, the, the, uh, even the guy that investigated said uh, it came down and it landed in a crazy way. Uh, it just uh, come in, it knew, this the engine weighs 1,600 or something pounds on this aluminum airplane. It's going to be, it's, it's going to be nose heavy. A normal crash, you would hit the ground, you know, buried and destroyed the prop and buried up. Uh, they say this plane come in like it come in and the, the wing, the right wing broke off this plane. And uh, it come in and when it landed, it came straight down and then and then one of the and the, the one of the prop blades was sticking up. The, the blade at twelve o'clock was sticking straight up, and the one at uh, that had been at three o'clock and nine o'clock were actually broke off. Well, they couldn't find the the one that had been at six o'clock. They couldn't find that prop, the prop blade. So when they lifted the plane up to load it on the back of the truck, the prop blade was still attached to the prop. There was two blades. To, the one at 12 o'clock and one at 6 o'clock was still attached. And it was buried. It was it was five, six feet down in the ground. When they pulled the plane up, the prop come out of the ground with the plane. It was still attached. That tells me there that that prop was not spinning when that plane hit the ground. Would it have hit face down then if it was still attached? Or assumably, if it would have went face down, it probably would have broke the prop off completely, right? Right, it would have broke the whole thing off completely. Yeah, they're just loaning the blades. It would have broke them all off. But uh, even the, the guys that, inspect, that uh, did the investigation said they had never seen a plane cr- plane land like that, you know, in a crash. It, it was very odd. And uh, but they, uh, it was uh, several things I have found in these reports that still puzzle me. Um, the uh, one report said he was buried in a lead, lead-lined coffin which I don't know why they would do that unless there was radiation involved. And if radiation was involved, where'd it come from? Got to be that UFO. That's what I was wondering. There was some type of interference. Was, uh, this thing he was chasing, he got close enough to it that when it took off, that the uh, wash from a propulsion system, you know, contaminated the plane. Um, I don't know. I, and then, that, then he... Uh, and then one report said that he was he, he was not buried; that he was actually uh, frozen for few, for a further investigation. So, you know, so I don't know if he's even in there or not. I don't know. That may have been the purpose of the lead-lined coffin, 
was to keep you from detecting if anybody was in the thing or not. I don't know. It's just a lot of questions that I'm still trying to figure out the answers to. That's what I was kind of wondering, too. Maybe the plane crashed because maybe there was some type of abduction that happened during this experience. And maybe that's why. Was there ever like a body for sure shown or is it more? Yeah, yeah, the coroner, uh, uh, they they pulled a body. As soon as the plane landed or crashed, uh, it was a lot of smoke coming up. And actually, it was all from this engine that splashed up down the engine, you know. Which it probably threw a rod or something like that. Probably and this hot oil was on the engine making the smoke. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, yeah, the coroner there in Franklin, Kentucky. Uh, I did have his name, but anyway, uh, yeah, he uh, he uh, uh, did an aut- didn't do an autopsy. He uh, they recovered the body, and he said the body was nothing but mush. Every bone in that body was shattered. Uh, the cause of death listed on the, the death certificate was dislocation of brain. And I did some research on that too. That happens when your spinal cord separates from your, from your brain. So I guess when he, you know, when he did the autopsy or whatever, you know, that that's what he found. That's what he put down as cause of death. Uh, it's, I don't know, it's just a lot of, a lot of unanswered questions. The uh, canopy came off and took off uh, part of his part top part of his scalp, and they found part of it down by, by the barn, with a it's a piece of his skull and a piece of his uh, and a piece of his brain were there at the at the uh, there behind the barn. Um, I went to the crash site. Well, it's been a few weeks ago, and uh, like I said, we're going to do this documentary, and I wanted to get permission from the people that that own the property now. That we could, you know, actually do some filming there on site. And the lady that owns the, owns the farm now, she didn't really want to, really want to do it. She says, "I think we just need to let him rest and let it let it go." I said, "No, ma'am, we don't." I said, "I don't mean to argue with you. We don't need to do that." I said, "There's too much history getting being erased right now." This guy was a true American hero, you know. And I said, "His story needs to be told," you know. And we need to make it as accurate as possible. And if it's all possible, I wish you'd reconsider and let us uh, let us film on the property. I says I'm pretty sure there'll be some. They'll be more than glad to sign some kind of a release of liability or whatever, you know, for you to, you know, to let us film there, you know. But I said uh, it would be a wise thing, you know, you know to, to get you know, to get that release signed, because you never know what could happen. Somebody could fall and break a leg, break a leg or something, you know. But uh, you know, but she finally said, "Yeah, I guess you're right." So yes, just let us know when you're going to be coming out, and uh, I want we want to be home when you do it. So I don't, you know, we don't want anybody out here. If we're not home, nobody, you know, on the property, you know, which I can understand that. Oh yeah. The uh, tail section came off probably 150, 200 yards further down the road from where the actual crash happened. at. the uh, fuel tank. The onboard fuel tank. This uh, Mustang had three fuel tanks. Had one in each wing, and one behind the one behind the pilot, right behind the cockpit. And uh, the one behind the cockpit actually came out of the plane about a quarter mile away. And then the tail section landed in the field, and they never recovered the tail section. The military never did come back and get it. 
they load up the the, uh, the plane and what was left of the fuselage, the wing, and uh, just covered and then whatever was left, they just uh, covered up the bulldozer, buried it. And there's still some pieces of the plane. I'm pretty sure they they found some. He has just said they played with them when they were young. But there's a piece of it up in the history center in Franklin. And uh, I, I took my, I'd, I'd seen it several times, you know. And I went up there and was talking to him one day, you know. And I took my Geiger counter. And, uh, and it's inside a glass display case. And it's probably about a foot from the front of the glass. And, uh, I took my Geiger counters and held it up there to it. Well, I got actually got a, uh, a readings in the room itself. You know, my baseline readings, you know, were like two or three counts per minute. And uh, I walked in there, and the closer I got to it, it started, the, the count started picking up. It hit, hit 68 counts per minute holding it up against the display case. So there is a little, little bit of radiation involved. I mean, it's nothing nothing to be deadly or anything, you know, but it's enough to, to cause a little bit of concern. Where did this come from, you know? Mm -hmm. Where did this radiation come from, you know? Of course, normally aluminum is not, you know, radioactive, you know? So uh, that kind of raised a few questions there, too. We're supposed to be doing a uh, ground-penetrating radar at a crash site. If I can get the guy that's got the equipment and the landowner together long enough to agree on what day they want to do it, you know. So, <laughs> so hopefully they they're gonna do that. Uh, in fact, uh, I told Seth, uh, I said I, I'm gonna film it while we're doing this. He says, "T, what do you call me and let, let us come down and film it while y'all are doing it?" He said that way you concentrate on, on the investigation. And he said we can get the, get some good footage. Well, they got a lot better cameras than I've got. You know? <laughs> so they can they can do it in high definition, all that kind of stuff, you know. But. Uh, they're they going to send somebody down when they get ready to do the, 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 you know, the radar. And uh, I'm supposed to meet them up there one day when they, they've already interviewed the uh, the Mantell brothers. We had a, uh, um, a dedication uh, at Franklin, Kentucky back in January. January the 7th, the anniversary of this crash, it's going to be every year. It's going to be Captain Mantell Day at Franklin. And uh, so I met I met him up there at the dedication. I met one of them. One of them was on a Zoom call. He lives in Georgia and couldn't make it. The other one lives close by in Clarksville, uh, Louisville. I'm sorry. And uh, But they've already interviewed them. Seth and uh, his crew have interviewed them. And uh, they're going to come back and do another interview with them, too, pick up a little more. And then um, they're supposed to interview me at the crash site and uh, when they get ready to do it. And uh, they told me, they said, they're going to do that one first and then be prepared to come back some other time and spend several hours, you know, in a sit-down interview, you know. So it's going to be be interesting. I have got this new book. I've got every picture, every newspaper article I can find, every record. I've even got the Project Blue Book records in there. Uh, just, just everything I can possibly find. Every newspaper account, every magazine article. That uh, it's just like I say, it's 450 pages. I've already sent off for my for my copyright, but I can actually do some minor editing things to add a few more things to it, uh, even after it's copyrighted. But 
it's gonna be it's gonna be a good one. Oh yeah, it sounds like it. it sounds absolutely fascinating. <clears throat> Do you have uh, an idea of when it's supposed to be uh, coming out? Uh, documentary and the book wise. Uh, November of 2024 is what you're saying right now. <laughs> <laughs> so you got a little bit then. I, I hate I hate to wait that long. You know, it's when you you work on something like it. Like I said, I I have become attached to this. You know, to Captain Mantel. Um, just I don't know. It just I, I guess you you find out that much before you know, work research them and stuff. It, it, you just develop a love for them. You know. Yeah, it's like a personal attachment. I just I hate to you know. And when I went to the crash site, it was. It was very emotional for me. I mean, you know, I didn't. And when his grandsons went there, I can I can't even imagine how it was for them. But I mean, it was it was pretty bad for me. You know, I sat out there in the I sat out there in the truck after I left left the people, and I actually sat there and cried for a little bit. I couldn't help it. I mean, it just it was overwhelming. You know, so just knowing what happened there. You know, and, and this was exactly six months after Roswell. You know, so and this was the first case that Project Blue Book picked up to reinvestigate, you know. And actually, it's more or less to try to misinformation as far as that goes, trying to cover it up, you know. They sent, the day of the crash, they sent a crew down from a, a Stanford um, Air Force Base in uh, Louisville to uh, supposed to start the investigation. I think they were kind of a cleanup crew because the guy that normally does their investigations didn't know anything about it till 12 hours later after the crash. After this bunch had already been there and done what they were going to do and then leave, you know, so. Well, I'm sure there's some foul play as far as the reports go, especially considering that he was chasing a UFO and it was radioactive. Like, there's got to be some stuff that got mixed even in the report. I'm sure it's not exactly to the T. They made it so that it fits like a certain narrative that they wanted to follow because maybe they full well knew that falling behind this thing it completely may have stopped his engine completely and he just dropped out of the sky essentially but they don't want yeah, exactly. the average person yeah, to they, know that <laughs> right uh, that's what i was thinking by the prop being stopped when he crashed but all the witnesses say that what this what they heard was an, an engine screaming as the plane you know come down to the ground so and they got but i think he said maybe with well, all depends who, who's uh eyewitness reports you read some say two thousand feet off the ground some say 10,000 feet, you know, just where you know, the, uh, they heard the explosion. Uh, it had to have been pretty high for that fuel tank to be a quarter mile away. He had to have been way up in the air. That fuel tank to come out and land a quarter mile away, the tail section breaking, you know, so it's, it's a lot. I did find the uh, 1950 uh, aerial photo of the farm, you know, which was two years after the crash, and uh, trying to see if I could see any kind of damage or anything there in the field or whatever, you know, and it all, I, mean, I can't find anything that just, you know, that shows it's out of place. They said they cut some trees down and uh, cut ruts across the field to get the plane out, but if that's the case, they had them covered by 1950, they had them all pretty much, you know leveled up you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> ain't seen the evidence of it in the aerial especially involving a ufo you gotta have that cleanup crew come real quick and i mean that could even explain part of why they buried it is because maybe they knew it was radioactive and they figured that'd be the best way to kind of just deal with it thinking that nobody else would right. dig it up in the future yeah, there was all kind of rumors flying around they said it uh 
he was radioactive, which I've had proved to some to a certain extent that it was. Uh, some people say it was shot full of bullet holes, you know, and uh, some of them say that he uh, his last words were, uh, uh, "Oh my God, I see people in this thing," you know, and but there's no recordings, you know. So, or if it was, they got rid of them, you know. Was there black boxes in planes back then, or was that did that start happening way later? That happened way later, I mean, you know, way later. Um, yeah, the uh, P-51 Mustang, I did a lot of research on it and put down all the information I could about it, too. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, they didn't have the black box. Some of them were equipped with oxygen. All of them had the manifold in them and had the, uh, I guess, had the mask or whatever or the plumbing for the mask. They just didn't have the oxygen tank in them. Like I said, this was peacetime, you know. But my question is, he supposedly called for hot guns, which means that he's he's wanting to shoot at this thing, you know. And uh, I'm just wondering, was his uh, was his uh, gun belts even in place? I mean, you know, they had these machine gun belts. P-51 uh, D Mustang had a six 50 caliber machine guns, three in each wing. And the older planes, they had to time them in with a propeller to keep shooting the propeller, you know. But the P-51 Mustang, they had moved them out further outside the radius of the of the prop, so they didn't have to worry about that. But it had these two big. I've even got the information in the book. It tells how many how many rounds and stuff, uh, belt held and all this kind of stuff, each wing and how much they weighed and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I'm just wondering uh, if uh, there's actually if his guns were, if he even had any ammunition in the plane, you know. I hadn't found anything yet that shows. I, I, I wish I could find this plane. I would love to go look at this airplane. Right. They said the engine was sent to Wright-Patterson. And I'm pretty sure the rest of it was too, you know. But I haven't found anything that said otherwise, but I know I did find it where it said the engine was sent to Wright-Patterson for investigate for examination. And uh, so I don't know why they would send the... Uh, just the engine by itself and not the whole plane. I can't find anybody that has actually saw the plane. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I would love to see it. I'm pretty sure it's probably scrap metal by now, and who knows where it's at. I mean, if it was involved in, some, in a weird phenomenon like this, too, assumably they're going to try to get rid of it as fast as possible anyways. Yeah. And I'm kind of curious, even if he asked to be able to shoot at this thing, if, you know, whoever or whatever happened to be in the flying saucer at the time kind of like heard that, assumed it as a threat, and then they almost like blasted him where all of his all of his power just essentially went out in the plane. It right. just dropped out of the sky after that. I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's what I, I'm thinking. They more or less incapacitated him. Uh, like I said, he was he was already up at 30. Well, he was up at, I think, 25,000 feet or something. Uh, supposedly, with the plane trimmed like it was, he kept climbing at 30,000 feet. And evidently, the plane leveled off at 30,000 feet. I think this uh, Mustang could actually go up to like 40 with the, with the uh, turbochargers it had on it. Uh, they had a high blower and a low blower. And one of them come on it, I think it was 15,000 feet automatically. So I'm, I'm thinking that... Um, he, uh, he leveled off, you know, and then he, and when it leveled off, I reckon it's when he came back down. But I just wonder what would happen if he'd have oxygen, and, you know, and was able to chase this thing. They, uh, 
they first said it was Venus he was chasing, and that went on for like a couple of years. You know, that was that was the the thing, and then they uh, then they then that didn't fly because Venus at that time of day and that time of year, Venus was not visible in the sky, or it was very slow on the horizon. It wouldn't it wouldn't have mattered, and then uh, it wasn't bright enough. Uh, the uh, and the uh, the next uh, after the Venus deal didn't work, they uh, they come up with a weather balloon. It's always a weather balloon. Weather balloon. <laughs> and they were kind of weird. I did some research on them too. Uh, they just partially it's like it's like a big plastic bag, and they just partially inflated it, you know, with helium, you know, or or um, hydrogen, and uh, to let it uh, as it went up through the upper altitude. Uh, the, the gas pressure would expand and make the balloon bigger, and uh, but they were they said they were they were something like you know, hundred something feet across you know and seventy five or eighty feet you know long so I don't know it I just the balloon theory don't get it with me he this uh, Mustang would travel would fly four hundred and forty something mile per hour and uh, he couldn't catch he catched it. Supposedly couldn't catch this weather balloon up in you know in a calm in a calm day you know so I don't think the I think if the winds were strong enough to move us move this uh, weather balloon that fast I don't think he that Mustang would have a chance in there I don't think you know so it's 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 a big cover up <laughs> oh for sure that that's all I'm getting from it too <laughs> and I would love I would love to prove it you just you know but. Like I said, they've destroyed enough, so much of the evidence, and all. Who, you know, who knows? Who knows? And as more time goes on, it's going to be harder to even find any pieces of evidence. But I'm kind of curious if you guys do the uh, ground penetrating radar, and you guys find pieces of this thing. If theoretically they might still be radioactive, and maybe it can even more so prove the fact that this whole plane was radioactive when it went down. Right. Um, I took my Geiger counter up there when I went to the crash site with the, with the landowner, and uh, yeah, I was getting some. The highest reading I got was something like maybe a 45, 48, somewhere along in there. And uh, just, but, um, but you still get uh, radiation from the sun and things like that, you know. And uh, the, uh, I guess you may have to find a piece to check it to see. So the guy that, uh, the landowner's son told me, because he was in the military at the time and he was on a ship in the Navy, he says that he was told. That they came down and uh, and dug a lot of it up, found a lot of pieces of it, and uh, it was it, this show was radioactive. But I don't know where he got his information from. You know, it may be hearsay. He's you know, he's quoting. I don't know. But I would love to find a piece of it, you know, in the ground, you know, and just see what how it did. Oh yeah, I'm curious about it. So you got you'll have to keep me updated on it because I'm fascinated now. I definitely want to know what you guys find, and I'm I'm gonna definitely be watching that documentary that comes out, and I I'm gonna have to definitely scoop a copy of the book when you release it. Yeah, it's a like I said, I hate to wait a year, but they have it's probably better to do it that way. Uh, they've got a lot bigger fan base than I've got, you know. <laughs> uh, they've got a world like worldwide distribution, you know, so. Uh, they 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 made me a pretty they offered me a pretty good deal on publishing a book for me so all I got to do is send it to Heather and she's gonna kind of look through it and make sure I got all my 
I's dotted and T's crossed, you know, and make sure everything's right. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's, it's about ready to go. And I may have to come up with a volume two, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> if I find enough stuff between now and then, you know, I can do some minor changes and still keep the copyright intact. But if I go to add a whole bunch of pages to it or whatever, I'll have to I'll either reapply for a, another copyright or. A, but I'm thinking 450 pages is a pretty good sized book. It's the biggest one I've done, you know, so. Of course, the more pages you add, the more it costs to publish it, too, you know, so. Hey, but if you split it into two books, then it just makes it so that you have another documentary that could possibly come from it, and it even makes it so you can kind of spread it out a little bit longer and make it so that, you know, you right. can do the research and not feel like you're time-pressed. Right. That's exactly right. But, uh, these are... I'm finding all the pictures I can find. I found his birth certificate and his death certificate. The odd part is about his birth and death. They both occurred in Franklin, Kentucky. What's odd, his parents live in a little community called Rich Pond, which is between Bowling Green, which is a little bit south of Bowling Green, and Franklin. And uh, they were visiting family or friends, and uh, she went into, Miss Mantell went into labor. The closest hospital was in Franklin. And uh, so he drove her to Franklin. They kept her overnight. She had, and she had him early the next morning, you know. But he was born in Franklin. And then he died in Franklin. But he didn't live there. But it, it's kind of odd, you know. It's, it's just kind of one of the oddities that makes you wonder. Things that make you go, hmm. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. And it's kind of, it, it's always really, really weird, too, when it's just like, it's a synchronicity almost that the guy was like born and also passed in the same area. Like it's, right. there's, it's almost like there should be something to it, you know, like maybe that's all it is. Maybe it's just a coincidence, but I don't know. It still feels just like off when you hear things like that. Yeah, it is. It, yeah, and I thought it, I thought he was a resident of Franklin, you know, I was going to try to find the house and everything that I got to found out, you know, he was uh, born in a, they called it uh Southern Kentucky sanitarium i think is what that was the name of the place where he was where he was born which is a sanitarium hospital too but it that building has been i've got pictures of it but it's been long gone and uh, a lot of stuff it, i went by the uh crash site show my wife crash site the other day and uh, i stopped by and made a picture of the and i got pictures on my facebook page uh me standing there by the the memorial marker they put up the state put up you know for him you know these highway markers and uh, but it it's in, it's getting in bad shape. It, the paint spinning off of it, you know. And I made a picture of it and then put it on there. And somebody said something about lucky it needs a paint job, you know. And I thought I, I told them, I said, y'all leave that to me. I said that's the least I can do is go up, go up and and re, re, touch up the paint on his marker, you know. So it's this it's just the outside frame of it, you know. It just needs a little touch up paint on it. But, I was actually, I looked up his name and that was the first thing that popped up. I actually have a bunch of pictures of it up right now. And it's, you know, just the generic, like, uh, like gold print on like the bluish looking sign. But right. yeah, they get weathered real quick. Yeah. Now the, the letters and the sign look good. It's just outside the frame of it. It's, it's changing color. It's, you know, it's, it's showing some of the, I guess it was probably painted silver at one time and then somebody painted it blue and. I think a good coat of flat black or gloss black would look good. Highlight it maybe, but it's right there by by the tourist by the tourist um, uh, building. So I don't know. 
I'm going to get up there one day and get that done for this too awful cold. I may put that on my list next week. Say, I would even record it for the documentary just for the sake of, you know, just having it in there too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It is. And the crazy part was I drove by this place. I worked in Franklin for 10 years. And I drove by this place probably a couple, three times, at least a week. You know, I'd take different routes going back and forth to work, you know, just to break up the monotony. But I went by this place like I said, several times each week and didn't even realize it. And uh, I don't know what, I don't, I don't remember what even got me, got me working on the Mantell case. I don't really know what, <laughs> what really got me started. I don't remember. I do remember going up to the uh, presentation and uh, I had already had a lot of information that I shared with them when I was up there. So evidently it was quite a bit before that, <laughs> you know, at least a year before that. So uh, it's, uh, they've got a lot of, uh, they got a big file on him up there uh, at the History Center. I've been going back and forth making copies, making photos of stuff. And uh, I asked him, I said, what would it cost me? This is the guy that's over the History Center. I said, what would it cost me to get copies of that complete file? He said, we'll give you a break and then 10, 10 cents a copy to pay for the paper. And uh, he said, or we can scan it for you. You put it on a flash drive, it won't cost you a dime. <laughs> I said, start scanning. <laughs> <laughs> the good news about that, too, is you can always throw it through programs that'll like read it off to you, too. So you could even like oh, yeah, yeah. put it through something and be able to do some research and type out stuff as you're listening to it. But I've got a, at, the, at this um, dedication, there were three eyewitnesses that actually saw the plane crash. Well, they one of them. A, a, a man and his uh, sister, younger sister, weren't. They didn't actually see it crash, but they it crashed within a uh, hundred yards of their house. So they actually heard it and then heard it when it crashed. And one guy said he saw it when it crashed. And uh, so when he said it come, I said, said he when it come down, it come down like this. My hands it, it did like that when it come down. It didn't. He didn't come in and crash and dig out a deep ditch or anything when he come in, you know. And that was my first thought was maybe he was trying to bring his thing back up, maybe, you know, try to recover, you know, bring it back up. But uh, after reading all the details and knowledge, uh, when the engine locked up on it, and I knew that that was out of the question, you know, but I don't, I don't think he, I don't think he ever gained consciousness. I don't, you know, I think he was still out when it, when he crashed. I only hope he was anyway. It had to be had to be traumatic, you know. But. That's what I was going to say. The best hope is that he was knocked out when it all happened, especially considering that, like you said, his like head got split and everything too. Right. Yep. Yeah, I'm I'm going I'm going to try to find it. I'm going to get up. I'm going to try to find a piece of it. nothing else. I'll be able to find a just a shard of the uh, the canopy glass and nothing else, you know. So I pretty much got a map that shows where everything was at during you know, after. If they applied out during the crash. Now, some of their measurements are kind of off, but a lot of the landmarks are still there. The barn is still there. The fence is in the original position where it was at. So uh, it's, uh, it's pretty well defined where it was, you know, where the crash happened at. So. You have to snag a little piece before uh, somebody takes it and tries to put it in a museum. So like, even if you find something big, the museum can have that, but you got to take a little tiny piece for yourself. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Uh, after all this is over, I may... Uh, I may try to talk to them and let me do a little metal detecting, you know, and 
Let's see if I can find something that way too. Maybe I don't know. It. I don't know if they let me do it or not. But it'd be worth it'd be worth asking say yes or no. I mean, you know. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, the worst thing I can tell you is no. I mean. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I want to get up uh, when we get this uh, uh, ground penetrating radar going. I've got a couple more spots I want. Now, he's I already found a lot of graves in some of these cemeteries. It weren't marked or anything. He's uh, they marked him down. Uh, I've got two more cemeteries I want him to check for me. One of them was at Camp Cheatham, uh, which was a Civil War training camp, and had several people had died. The, me the uh, measles epidemic killed a lot of them, and uh, it's kind of odd. People you hear people dying of measles and things like that, you know, but uh, they didn't have any cure for it back then. But there was there were several of them supposedly buried there on temporarily on the on the site, and supposedly had been moved. But I don't know if they all got moved or not. I don't know. And uh, one of the family is wanting to expand, the, wanting to be buried in a cemetery on their farm. But we have branched out several feet, and I found probably 20, 25 or 30 graves outside the fence of the cemetery. So I don't know. We're gonna get him up there and let him let him definitely prove it. The Dowson rods showed there's plenty, plenty of people buried there. He's built a building on the property and I actually found two graves inside the building. It's a dirt floor where he parks his equipment, parks his tractor and his stuff like that in. I actually found two graves inside the building, you know, that <laughs> he built up later. So I found one and brought it up against the building. I thought, I bet he's got something inside. So I went inside. Sure enough, there's at least two more graves inside the building. He got a bunch of hay stacked in. I couldn't get the whole thing, but, uh, you know, a Dowson Rods do a, do a pretty good job. So the, uh, I'm kind of curious too if it's uh if those if there if they are graves that are still currently like have remains in them or if they're ones that people have tried to like move and there might just still be like pieces left but it's not necessarily like the final resting spot like they may have moved them afterwards. Yeah, I don't I don't think these these have I don't think this is a real old cemetery, real real old, and. Uh, it's possible. It's it's quite possible. But I don't. You know, there's no, there's no signs of anything being. You know, there's no sunken spots. You, you know, most time you can see a grave with a sunken spot or whatever. Of course, he's got his, the guy puts his garden over it every year, so uh, that's probably why it's the level there and not sunk in or anything. But uh, yeah, he's been a. I was gonna wait through his garden. He got he got his garden and I'll pick before I went back up there to check it. I didn't want to walk out in the middle of his garden, but. The, uh, here's a see where not. Here's a couple of thousand rods I built. You see but they're they were they're free will. They don't. There's they, there's no resistance at all to them. They just go. You know. <laughs> I'm gonna start building some things like that. Some paranormal equipment and stuff. I'm retired now, so I got time to kind of work on it <laughs> a little bit. Have your fun now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And you're getting involved in a documentary and writing your book, so it seems like you got a lot of fun stuff going on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that and uh, keeping up with the family life and keeping everything going and mowing two acres. Of course, that's going to stop here pretty soon for when the weather gets a little cooler. It'll, the grass has slowed down uh, growing now, so maybe the growing season's passed, maybe. And, and then I got all these big... Uh, maple trees with all the leaves falling off you know 
I got an old tree that holds its leaves on to the next to the next spring. I've got a tree out in front of my house that's well, I got actually two of them, one beside the house and one beside it that are over two hundred years old. And uh, when they came through running the fiber optic cable for the internet, they said we got to cut that tree down. I said, No, you're not. The tree's been here longer than you were even thought about. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I parked my truck underneath that underneath that thing for probably a couple of three months, as close as I could get to it, to keep them from sneaking in while I was at work and cutting the thing down, you know. <laughs> of course, my wife would have probably got the shotgun after me. <laughs> you know, you know, at least you're both on the same yeah, page. I let them do a, a light trimming on the front just to clear the, the power line. But it's a big old, like I said, it, this old tree in the middle of it died years and years ago, and it branches out, and it looks like this. Is the way the, the tree has grown up. It's trunk down here, and that's the way the. But anyway, I built a, I built the grandkids a, a tree house in it, and I have steps coming down, you know, from the top of the tree house. So it makes a. It's also good to hunt deer out of too in the winter time if I if I needed to, you know. That's what I was gonna say. You got a you got a uh, hunting blind up there too. <laughs> so um. I guess with uh, all of this awesome stuff that we've talked about, and I'd love to have you back on at some point uh, to be able to continue on with everything that you've been working on, especially when you start doing the documentary and start doing the ground penetrating radar. Uh, but as for right now, um, I'd like to leave the listeners with some words of wisdom from you. So if there was any uh, words of wisdom that you could bestow on the listeners, what would it be? Mm. Oh, that's a good question. Words of wisdom. Well, I thought of one earlier. I should have wrote it down when I thought of it. <laughs> Words of wisdom. Just, uh, you know, if you're doing any investigations, the uh, main thing is documentation. Document everything. That's one thing I learned when I was writing my book, you know, the sources or whatever, you know. You want to quote your sources and make sure you can refer back to them, you know. Uh, like I said, you know, documentation. Um that's all, that's all I can think of off the bat, you know, just do, document everything real well, you know, and uh, um, keep up with your sources and don't give up. Keep going. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's perfect words of wisdom, honestly. I know I kind of put you on the spot, but I mean, it worked out perfect. Because, I mean, there's a lot of researchers that listen to the show. And, I mean, there's a lot of, like, all the, like, weird stuff that you kind of research into, especially, like, the UFO stuff. You know, a lot of people go off of, like, firsthand stories, but they don't necessarily have the documentation. And a lot of people forget about that in the process. So, honestly, it's some great words of wisdom to some of the researchers out there. But that's all I can think of right off the bat as far as just documentation. And uh, as far as like all your books go, um, any if anybody want to get a hold of you to possibly you know share maybe some more details of the story that they might have, uh, where can ever anybody find you, and where can everybody find some of your books that you've worked on? Oh, uh, I'm on a Facebook, Dewey Edwards. Uh, I also have a a a, um, a group, uh, Cryptid and Cryptids and Critters Paranormal. And I also have a YouTube channel by the same name. Um, my books are available on Amazon. I just do them. Just on Amazon and type in my name, Dewey Edwards, and uh, it'll bring up my books. Uh, the, uh, I also, uh, 
if you wanted one directly from me and wanted to uh, me to sign it or whatever, uh, I can uh, I can ship them here from I keep them here at the house. I can ship them out. Uh, it just costs a little extra for the postage, you know. I ship them out a uh, media mail, you know. So it's, it's it it usually runs about four or five dollars for shipping something like that for a book, you know. And uh, but like I said, I'll, I'll sign, autograph them, sign them or whatever. But you can shoot me a, a, a Facebook message or whatever or email. My email is uh, ghosthunter911 at gmail.com. So if, you know, if you want to shoot me an email or whatever, if you want a book or whatever, but I'll make sure you get it, you know. So I take uh, Venmo, Cash App, and PayPal, you know, so or a personal check, you know. But, but uh, about it <laughs> <laughs> and i always recommend of course going and picking it up directly from the author because i know amazon they take a huge cut out of it so if you guys want to support do. any yeah, authors do. always buy directly and, and it comes with a signature so it's even better yeah i can get them i can get them at a reduced price as you order author copies from you know from them you know so you get a little bit better better deal with doing it that way like i said they take a such a big cut out of it you know and, all the royalties they take out of it and stuff, so uh, it helps author a whole lot if you can buy them, you know, buy them from them. But, yeah, I've written ten books. This will be the tenth book I've written. I've also uh, ghost written uh, three other books too for for other people too. So it's kind of helping them get them published, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So it's I'm learning as I go. You know. Are we all, man? Amazon <laughs> publishing down to a down to a touch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Getting, getting easier every time. Say, I appreciate you making the time to come on today. I'm glad that we finally got around to coming and doing this. And uh, I'm really excited to see your documentary and hear, hear about your next book and everything. And uh, it was absolutely fascinating getting to uh, hear about this this tale and hear about Bell Witch because uh, you guys, you have a totally different perspective being from the area. And especially with like this UFO crash thing, I hadn't really heard about it too much besides when we had talked at Small Town Monster Fest. So I appreciate you coming on and sharing it. I'm glad to be here. And like I said, anytime you want me back, just, uh, like I said, I'm retired now. So uh, just shoot me a message and we'll get back together. Oh yeah, absolutely. If you guys enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave a rating or review for the show on iTunes or Spotify. Uh, If you guys leave a review on iTunes, of course, I will read it on the show and give you guys a shout out. Uh, If you guys are on the Android side and you guys are using Spotify, uh, you know, it only gives you the option to leave a star rating. So you guys can always shoot me a message if you guys want me to read it on the show and uh, you know, make it so it's like a like a review, but through a message. I'd love to do some stuff like that too. Give an option to uh, all the Android users out there to possibly get a shout out on the show. And uh, if anybody wants to get a hold of me for any reason whatsoever, uh, be it you want to share some of your fan art, possibly uh, maybe you want to set something up because you might have a cryptid or paranormal related product that you guys want to try to market through the show, uh, we can set something up. Or if you're just simply a listener that wants to have a conversation, I'm down for that too. Uh, don't be afraid to shoot me a message. You guys can get a hold of me through email, which is increase of our reality podcast at outlook.com. Or you guys can send me a message on social media. Instagram is the one that I'm the most active on. Or you guys can go to the link tree, fill the submission form. That will go directly to my email too. Uh, I do respond to every single message that I get. So make sure you guys check your spam or junk folders. Make sure nothing gets missed in the process because I do send out a lot of links considering that I do a show and I got to send out links to everybody that's coming on the show. But that's besides the point. Just keep tabs because I do respond to every single message that I get. And everything that I mentioned is available off of the link tree, which is available down in the show notes. But uh, if you guys don't want to do it that way, you guys can always go to your URL and simply type in L-A-N-K-T-R period E-E slash 
Increase of Our Reality podcast. And with that, hope you guys enjoyed the conversation and I'll catch you on the next one. Have a good night, everybody. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.